number two, pride and prejudice in the human heart can prevent us from seeing things clearly. Pride and prejudice in the human heart can prevent us from seeing things clearly. So not only can hatred prevent us from seeing things clearly, pride and prejudice can do the same thing. Now, what do I mean by pride and prejudice? Well, clearly I'm not talking about the Jane Austen book. Let me give you the simplest definitions uh, that I can. Pride is thinking too highly of yourself, while prejudice is thinking too lowly of others. Pride thinking too highly of yourself, and prejudice thinking too lowly of others. Let's pick it back up at verse 13. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. Now let's pause there just for a moment because we need to look at who are these people? Who is King Agrippa? Who is, who are, who is Bernice? Now, before we get uh, too far into this passage, I want you, I want you to, to think about who these people are. King Agrippa is King Agrippa II. He is going to be the last king of the Herodian dynasty. Now, we've talked about this family before uh, when we talked about Drusilla and her family. Uh, this, um, this King Agrippa II, King Agrippa I, would be his dad. His dad, King Agrippa I, was the one who had the apostle James killed. Uh, he's the one that tried or wanted to kill uh, the apostle Peter. Uh, King Agrippa II was just a teenager at the time that his father died, and as a result, he was not given full authority as, say, the king of Judea. Instead, he was given a rather small uh, area over which to rule, a small area, uh, really in what is modern, in the area of modern-day Lebanon. It's not all of Lebanon, just a little small part in the area of Lebanon. So instead, uh, Rome put into place uh, procurators or governors in the major regions instead of allowing the king uh, kings to continue, especially in a case like this where the boy's just a teenager, uh, they would put in these governors. Uh, for example, you may remember Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was one of the Roman-appointed rulers. Uh, so King Agrippa II, he is a king, but he's not one with, with real power or significance. He just has this little tiny region that he's responsible for. So when you, when you heard King Agrippa and Bernice, uh, you probably even made the assumption that this is his wife. And you're correct. <laughs> this is also his sister. Yes, you heard me right. So when we say King Agrippa and Bernice, uh, this is this is an incestuous relationship. Uh, in fact, Jewish, uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, he writes that everyone knew about this incestuous relationship. He knew that they were brother and sister. Everyone knew it. It was common knowledge. Everyone was disgusted by it. Uh, but Bernice is eventually, she's going to move to Rome. And when she moves to Rome, she's going to become the mistress of not one, but two men. Uh, one is going to be the Emperor Vespasian. And then the other person that she is going to be the mistress of is his son, Titus. Yes, you heard me right. Uh, do you, are, you, are you hearing the type of woman that this is? Uh, she has an incestuous relationship with her own brother, uh, then she becomes the mistress of both a father and a son. This is just um, this is just despicable uh, when you know, type of behavior. It's just it's disgusting, is what it is. And so when we see this, you know, when we read 
about King Agrippa and Bernice, that's the, the background. That's who these people are. That's what we're dealing with. So let's pick back up verse 14. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priest and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, it's not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has an opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I'd supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. Now let's pause there just for a moment because verse 23 gives us an incredible contrast. Agrippa and Bernice, brother and sister, uh, incestuous relationship, Agrippa and Bernice come in with great pomp. I want you to notice that word pomp. Where do we usually see that word? We usually see that word at graduations. We usually hear it with pomp and circumstance. Uh, the graduates walk in and the music, the, the fanfare is, is playing. Well, the, the word translated pomp here in the, is the Greek word fantasia. Fantasia. In other words, it's the fanfare of fantasy. It is a huge spectacle. They come in wearing their crowns and their extravagant robes. Uh, it was over the top, and it was actually absurd when you think about they have come in here to celebrate with great pomp who? King Agrippa II and Bernice. It really, you know, when, when you think about all of this that's taking place, this, this huge pomp and circumstance that's taking place, one word comes to mind. Pride, pride. Let's, let, let's, let's consider the contrast. Look again at verse, verse 23. So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. So there is one ancient writing that describes the physical attributes of the apostle Paul. It's not scripture, so we can't know with certainty of its accuracy, but it is the only description that we have. So at least we'll, we'll give it to some consideration. Uh, if the Apostle Paul, um, uh, the, the Apostle Paul is described in this way, here's how it reads. Quote, a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body, in other words, kind of like stocky guy, 
with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked, full of friendliness. So what do we have? What do we have here? We got a short guy with a bald head that's bow-legged, that's stocky, that's a unibrow, and has a crooked nose. Now, in addition to all of this, in the book of Galatians, we see that the Apostle Paul even has some, some problems with his eyesight. So we have this guy coming in that's short-statured, uh, bald-headed, bow-legged, stocky, unibrow, crooked nose, and squinty eyes walks in. What do you think the crowd is doing? They're, 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 they're probably laughing, right? What, this is the guy? This is the guy? Now consider that contrast. Consider the contrast between, between King Agrippa and Bernice coming in with the trumpets blaring, their robes, the crowns, uh, the cheers, and then you have the command that Paul be brought in. You can, you can almost now hear the, the crowd's laughter when he's brought in. I want you to remember 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says this, the Lord does not see as the man sees, but, the man, but for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The what? Did you hear it? The heart. The Lord looks at the heart. We have a tendency, we're going to look at the outward appearance. Um, but God looks at the heart. Now let's keep reading. Look at verse 24. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing to, certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. And we come to the end of chapter 25. Now, Festus is obligated to send Paul to Rome. Why? Uh, because Paul has now appealed to Caesar. But these charges against him are not worthy for him to be sent to Rome. Now, this could be an embarrassment uh, for Festus to send him. Uh, he's going to send Paul to Rome without a cause. So what, ha what has to happen? He needs to come up with a new reason. He needs to come up with a reason to send Paul that is actually worthy of sending him to Caesar. Otherwise, when he gets there, they're going to take this case and go, why in the world didn't Festus deal with this? Why didn't it, this, is not, this is ridiculous. So Festus is now, he's got, to, he's got to try and figure out what am I going to do? Now, in our own spiritual EKG, we must always be careful not to think too highly of ourselves and too lowly of others. Pride and prejudice are, are really indicators of a heart that are out of sync with the things of the Lord.